0: Please take your Bibles, if you would, and turn in them to the book of Proverbs. We will be in many places, but chapter 8 is one place we'll begin soon that you might want to turn to. We have been working our way through the bigger themes of Proverbs, today being our 10th Sunday of focusing on it. We've seen the need for God's wisdom and how it shapes the way we talk. Our friendships, our pride, our homes and marriages, our receiving and giving of correction, our families and parenting, our sexual desires, our work ethic, and now today, perhaps probing most deeply into some of our hearts, our money. God cares deeply about how we view it, what we do with it, the role that it has in our lives. And so uh, we will seek out his wisdom for that, but I would just challenge you that in some ways it might be one of the harder areas for you to reform, to change, to adjust according to his truth. So the last three Sundays, if you just think about those, we have dealt with three of the deadly sins, lust or sexual sins, and the incredible power they have to ruin a man or a woman, Sloth, the sin of laziness, and it's incredible power to ruin a man or a woman. And today, greed or sins of money that also have power to ruin. God has made us creatures with strong desires. And money, for many of us, falls into that realm of strong desires. And one of the challenges is that those desires when they are channeled rightly and disciplined are healthy and good, and when they cross over those boundaries, they can very quickly and very easily become idols or gods or what we might call functional gods in our hearts. Somebody else spoke of it as disordered desires. So desires of ours that get out of order in our priorities so much so that Jesus identified money in Matthew 6 in his teaching on the sermon in the sermon on the mount that money was possibly the greatest opponent of God for the control of the human heart certainly for some people and that is when he uttered at the end of a longer speech uttered these six profound words you cannot, cannot serve God and money. Either you will serve God using money or you will serve money very often using God. And certainly the prosperity, it's hard for me to even call it gospel, but the prosperity thinking of If I will do such and such, God will bless me in material ways for my own happiness is a part of this challenge. Now, leading up to that, Jesus uttered these words. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. And it just reminds us, everybody's either laying them up on earth where they're so easily lost or we're laying up up in heaven where they are eternally preserved and kept. Seems like a no-brainer. Jesus is just saying our use of money will either be for earthly things, for temporal things, for fleeting personal gain, or if we're wise, we'll use it for God's kingdom purposes and for rewards that last forever. And he concludes that little teaching with, Wherever your treasure is, if you treasure God or you treasure money, that's where your heart and everything that flows out of your heart into life will be affected. And then he gives this intriguing illustration. You don't see money mentioned in these next three lines. He all of a sudden starts talking about this metaphor of the eye, which he's talking about a worldview, the way you look at Things And in this case, what's really a treasure? And the way your worldview will direct your path or the way that your body will go. So if your eye or your worldview or your way of looking at money is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye or your worldview about money is bad, distorted, unbiblical, inaccurate your whole body will be full of darkness. That's the power of money to corrupt the human heart or to darken it. Ray Ortland says, warning us here, money can have an almost hypnotic spell over us. But he also encourages us with the gospel gives us new eyes to see everything. And the closing of Jesus' speech then is the statement again, no one can serve two masters. He explains it in a couple of reasons why. And then the declarative statement, you cannot, no human can hold both of those gods equally rightly. One or the other over time will gain a greater hold of the human heart. Each of those gods, money or God, demands so much of us, one will dominate. So keeping sex three weeks ago, work last week, and money today in their proper lanes, in their proper priority place requires tremendous wisdom to see it, to have the, the eye of the lamp of our bodies see it rightly, and tremendous discipline, self-control of our hearts so that we stay in God's lane. So here's the way Proverbs speaks of it and compares wisdom and wealth. In Proverbs 8, beginning in verses 10 and 11, we're exhorted, take my instructions instead of silver and my knowledge rather than choice gold. Which one are you gonna pursue? Either my instruction and knowledge are gonna be preeminent and that's what you're going after or silver and gold and the shiny things of this world. For wisdom is better than those things and there is nothing else on earth that you can desire that can even compare with the spiritual wealth and worth of wisdom. Then down in verses 17 to 19 of chapter eight, Now wisdom is speaking, personified as a woman. I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently find me. Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. And you can see how God is using that word picture, not for material riches and wealth here, but for the spiritual riches and wealth that are enduring. My fruit, the impact on your life of wisdom is far better than gold, even fine gold, and then even choice silver. Later in Proverbs chapter 16, it's all boiled down to just how much better, infinitely better to get wisdom than gold, to have your mind, your worldview shaped by God's wisdom than by what the world puts as such a value, to get understanding even more than silver so to be rich in discernment but monetarily poor is far better far better immeasurably better than to have lots of money loads of money all the money you could possibly want with very little wisdom and discernment discernment and prudence so if your goal in life and here's the danger for many of us to walk is both I wanna be godly and have a lot of gold, wealthy. Realize that combination is incredibly rare and incredibly hard. So much so that Jesus said in Mark chapter 10, and he spoke it to his disciples, but it seems to be looking around at the crowds and Israel at the time, and he said to them, How difficult and basically how impossible, how hard it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Disciples are amazed. Jesus says it again, children, how difficult it is. And if you think of the rich young ruler and his desire to have eternal life and be in the kingdom, but the call to let go of everything else that would be his God if he didn't let go of it cost him the kingdom. And that's when Jesus gives the well-known illustration of the difficulty, the rarity, for any rich person to enter the kingdom of God. So God's call is, let's make sure that our priority stays where it should on God and godliness, and then whatever happens on the financial side of things happens out of part of God's working through our salvation. Several quotes here that perhaps are just helpful uh, beginning foundational thoughts. Anthony Salvaggio, money is not inherently evil. Wealth is not morally neutral. In other words, the problem always boils down to us. As sinners, we have an astonishing capacity to bring corruption of our sin nature to bear on anything we touch. It's true that money does present us with unique temptations, yet the evil comes not from money but from our coveting hearts. It is because of who we are, not because of what money is, that prosperity can easily become an object of worship. Ray Ortland says that God makes money a blessing, but we can make it a curse. Savagio again, pursued apart from God's wisdom, the amassing of wealth is a path of foolishness. The world can certainly give you a shallow material happiness, but only God can give you the wisdom leading to a life that is deeply satisfying. Get godly wisdom, and you will be less compelled by the pull of mere money. And you will be able to enjoy God's riches at a far deeper level, freely receiving blessings and spiritual riches that cannot be purchased. The amount of counsel God gives us, just in the book of Proverbs, is pretty overwhelming. We're not going to make it through all of it today. I think we'll finish it up next week, unless the Lord seems to lead differently this week. God has so much to say in all of the scriptures, so much to say in the New Testament. It's just jam-packed, even Jesus, with lots of teaching about money. But just in Proverbs alone, where I've tried to be faithful throughout the summer, to show you all that Proverbs says, and to not go too much beyond that other than when they speak into it. But there's so many here that we will just barely, barely touch on them. Again, either Thursday's email or, more accurately, this coming Tuesday's email, we'll list these scriptures out, group them together in some of these subtopics, and hopefully the rapid speed of today isn't too overwhelming. Before we begin to unpack those, would you join me in asking the Lord's help? Father, again, as we do each Sunday, come to this point where we are about to handle your word, where we are about to look into your holy, powerful words. And so we ask again for your Holy Spirit's help that is supernatural beyond our human capability. We recognize, Lord, that we are in a dangerous place sitting here in the middle of America, in the middle of a land flowing with milk and honey where thousands of years ago you warned the people that they must not let their hearts turn when they settled in the land, the promised land of so much milk and honey. And now we're in the middle of it, Lord, and our own hearts are drawn. So would you please use your principles, your proverbs, your truths, your commands, and your warnings today to shape so that our eyes, our worldview, becomes more Jesus and gospel-centered than world-centered, that we might use the money you give us for your glory, for your kingdom purposes that go far beyond our material needs and desires. Help us, oh God. We ask in your name. Amen. So, a couple of opening principles. I just call these kind of the big picture perspective. Um, we're flying a drone over all the money in the world. If you could see it all piled together, here's some perspectives from God. First of all, Proverbs 22:2. Seems like just a simple statement. The rich and the poor meet together. The Lord is the maker of them all. Like the point is, God has just spread all over this planet for all of history wealth and given some more and some less. God intentionally doesn't even give two people or two households the exact same money. All of us is dealing with this unique one talent, five talents, ten talents kind of concept. Customized according to God's Providence and His way as He directs it all. But part of the point is, God is going to put them side by side, even within the church. Sitting in the same pew today can be the wealthiest and the poorest person persons within our body. Side by side makes there's no favoritism for God. There's no sense the way the world often thinks, the wealthier are more important and the poor are less. There's none of that with God. All of it is just part of the way that he is shaping. John 3.27, John the Baptist said, a person cannot receive one thing unless it is given him from heaven. Then Proverbs 15 and 17, I grouped together three different better than statements here. And notice first of all, in Proverbs 15, 16, the fear of the Lord. Have we gone any topic this summer? without it being connected to the fear of the Lord. It's everywhere. Here we are again. It is better to have little, hardly anything, less than everybody else around you, if you have the fear of the Lord, there's the treasure, than to have all kinds of money, all the toys, all the fun stuff, but trouble with it. He's just giving us comparison things for value assessment here, because money can so distort our perspective. Many of us can think the trouble in verse 16, the hatred in verse 17, and the strife in verse seven, eight, uh, chapter 17 are issues we can live with if we have lots of money. We can prefer those things with lots of money over the fear of the Lord, love in 15,17, and quiet or peace. Contentment in chapter 17, verse one. That's what, God, that what we're talking about when we use the phrase "disordered desire." We get those priorities out of whack. Three other foundations about money, Proverbs 11:4: Riches do not profit in the day of wrath. They do nothing. The bottom line is, what we need most when the day of wrath comes is not riches. It will do nothing, nothing to get us out of the punishment that is coming. Righteousness, righteousness from God through Christ imputed to us and working in us is what delivers any human being from eternal death. Proverbs eleven twenty eight. Notice that these are all pretty early in Proverbs in terms of chap- chapter 10 starting the Individual little thoughts God's planting these seeds early. Nearly every chapter of Proverbs talks about money somewhere, sometimes two, three, four times within the same chapter. Proverbs 11:28: "Whoever trusts in his riches will fall." Sounding very similar to "Pride comes before a fall." But here it is again: the righteous, those who have been made righteous by faith in Christ will flourish like a green leaf, no matter how much money they have. So the danger for money is to put our trust in it rather than to put our trust in Christ and his righteousness and find true flourishing. As somebody said, money will quickly prove to anyone to be a poor friend and a worse counselor. And then Proverbs 3.9, which we'll unpack more, I think, next Sunday, Just ran out of time, and that's part of what got axed toward the end of the sermon today, uh, about 5.30 this morning. Uh, It's like, too much. I can't keep them past noon again. So we'll start with just this, though. I think it's foundational. Whatever you do with your wealth, whatever amount of money you have, honor the Lord with it. In the same way that you want to honor the Lord with your words and all the other, your marriage and your family and all of those other things we studied this summer so We must seek to honor the Lord with our wealth. But it perhaps is an area where we tend toward honoring ourselves or enjoying ourselves and not enough with honoring the Lord and keeping that priority of him first. The verse goes on to talk about the first fruits. Everything first goes to the Lord. Here, Lord, is what you've given to me. Here now I honor you by recognizing it came from you and I give back to you to say I don't need to have it all. I don't have to own it or keep it. It is yours. And here's a way I bless you in return. More on that, I think, next week. Two quick, very quick thoughts so we don't run out of time. Having money can be a tremendous blessing. Here's a few wordings of that. Proverbs ten fifteen: A rich man's wealth is his strong city, but the poverty of the poor is their ruin. Fourteen twenty. The poor is disliked even by his neighbor, but the rich has many friends. 19.4, wealth brings many new friends, but a poor man is deserted by his friend. And 22.7, the rich rules over the poor and the borrower of the slave is the slave of the lender. So people with money and wealth tend to feel more secure, strong city, more socially acceptable, friends, and to have more power and sway than those without. And people with little or no money, especially if they look at the wealthy, tend to feel not as successful, disliked, deserted often, and really with very little control over anything in their lives. So the rich may be lonely because they've cut off relationships in order to get rich, but the poor are often lonely because few people value and pursue friendship with them. Someone quipped, money isn't everything, but it does keep you in touch with your children. (laughs) But we also know even that isn't always the case. But generally speaking, the more money you have, the easier it is managing many aspects of life. But money also has severe limitations and shortcomings, particularly for internal. The benefits and blessings are largely external. The limitations and shortcomings are largely internal. Again, Proverbs 11, 14, four, that we've already looked at. Riches will not profit you in the day of wrath. It's ultimately useless when either death comes or the day of wrath comes. Proverbs 18.11, a rich man's wealth is his strong city, but now notice the difference from earlier. And like a high wall in his imagination. In other words, it does create an illusion that one is much more secure than one actually is. And then 28.11, a rich man is wise in his own eyes, but a poor man who has understanding will find him out. Wealth so easily puffs people up to where they feel better than others, smarter, and can totally distort even the assessment of our own character. But not having that money swaying one's thinking will often allow us to see things more accurately. So money can have tremendous external benefits, for the needs of this short life, but it has severe limitations for the things that really matter for the things of eternity and of God's kingdom. And it has potential to deceive and corrupt the human heart in incredible ways. All right, a couple of groupings that i most of these will fall under and then sometimes some subgroupings. I hope it's clarifying. Looking at 50-some Proverbs on Monday was like, woo. How do we navigate? So, hopefully there's some groupings here. First of all, some about how we acquire uh, money, that it matters greatly. And we generally get money either by earning it, that's been what we saw on the work proverbs last week, um, and what Chad walked us through in Ephesians 4.28 as well, just honestly working hard, diligent, or it's given to us, or we sinfully go out and acquire it. So here's some Proverbs that commend ways of getting money. Now, often they'll have the negative contrasted in there, but look at the commendations of God here. A slack hand causes poverty, Proverbs 10.4 says, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Again, not necessarily just materially, but just being a hard worker and functioning the way the Lord has created us, rather than looking for a fast, easy way to make a lot of money and actually be impoverished of soul, we will be much richer for just diligently, day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, decade after decade, fulfilling our purpose of work. Proverbs 23, 4 and 5 just commands us, do not toil. That's Solomon's favorite word in Ecclesiastes. Uh, One of his favorite words, along with meaningless. But do not toil, do not overdo, do not go to your limit as the primary goal of acquiring wealth. Be discerning enough to desist or resist, to not get sucked into that. Understand money's limits, understand your own priorities and be able to wisely Say no, and one reason why is because money, when your eyes light on it, it's gone, it sprouts wings, it flies, or it's like trying to hold water cupped in your hands. It's an endless pursuit that, if you head down that chasing of it, will get you eventually off track from walking with the Lord. Proverbs 22 1 A good name is to be chosen. Here's another one of those better than. It's better to have a good name than great riches, and favor is better than silver or gold. So pursue integrity. Pursue a reputation of being an honest, uh, hardworking, fair, wise citizen. 28.6, better is a poor man who walks in his integrity than a rich man who's crooked in his ways. better a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. 16.19, it's better to be of a lowly spirit with the poor than to divide the spoil with the proud. So don't chase acceptance by the rich. Often being with the poor who have little to offer materially is often a richer experience. And then some of what God condemns within acquiring wealth. Um, and we've touched on some of these uh, various Sundays recently, so good to have these hammered in again. 10.2, treasures gained by wickedness do not profit. Might make your bank account bigger, but they, they are shriveling your heart for the things that really matter. Proverbs 21.6, the getting of treasures by a lying tongue, so easy to do, is a fleeting vapor and a snare of death. One can make a killing with dishonest gain, but it's potentially killing them internally. I used to use this verse for students who wrestled with the temptation to cheat. Probably far easier now than the days that I taught. You may get better grades, but you are giving up, you are losing so much internally over your willingness to do that. And uh, if you want to hear stories, Chad can tell you a whole bunch of them anonymously of ways that people want to get, keep their wealth or get more wealth by ways that are less than honest and integrity-filled. Proverbs 19.22, it's better to be a poor man than a liar. 11.18, the wicked earns deceptive wages, but the one who sows righteousness gets a sure reward. As Warren Wearsby said, dishonesty is a form of robbery. So no dishonesty with clients, customers, managers, bosses, owners, management, government, anyone. 2216 now turns to how the wealthy often treat the poor. Whoever oppresses the poor uses their power over them to in some way squeeze something out of them they want to increase his own wealth or only gives to the rich will only come to poverty. Once again, of soul. And 22, 22 to 23, do not rob the poor because he is poor or crush the afflicted at the gate. For the Lord will plead their cause and rob of life those who rob them. It's often easier to make money off the poor. They're more easily deceived often. They're pretty powerless. They don't have the means to defend themselves or the ways to do that. So it can be temptingly easy to get away with wrongdoing in their lives. And God simply reminds us, you may pull it off here, but I will know and I will rob you. Proverbs 28.8, whoever multiplies his wealth by interest it seems to imply exorbitant interest. They were, the Jews were not to charge each other in the Old Testament with interest when they did loans. Uh, part of the, the temptation there is to make a lot of money off of somebody who's in a very desperate situation. And those who profit from that um, gathers it ultimately for someone who's generous to the poor. So we'll do a lot on generosity or see a lot of Proverbs, I think, next week. But basically, if you're not willing to give your money to someone and you're going to loan it, at least do so in a way that is fair, reasonable, favorable, helpful to them, and not one that makes them your slave. And then one temptation that has four different Proverbs on it is the temptation, and it's, again, certainly part of the American dream. In many ways, and that is to make money, and a lot of it, and fast. The faster, the better. But God warns us over and over that perhaps the worst thing that can ever happen to us is to get money quickly. Because we haven't built an immunity to it. Proverbs thirteen eleven: Wealth gained hastily will dwindle. But he who gathers little by little will increase it. Generally, the harder we work for it and the longer it takes us, the more careful we are with it. And the faster you get it, generally the faster you use it and lose it. God's method is usually more crockpot than microwave. 21.5, the plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who's hasty comes only to poverty. 28.20, a faithful man, a steady man, a man who just is doing his work faithfully will abound with blessings. But whoever is hastening to get rich will not go unpunished. And 28, 22, a stingy man hastens after wealth so he can hoard it and does not know that poverty will ultimately come upon him or upon his heart. And then two closing thoughts in this realm that are just, didn't fit in any of the categories, but I think worth briefly touching on. One has to do with the leech. And this might strike you as a little bit odd why it's in here. But the, the proverb is an observation about things on the earth that are certain ways. And there are a number of, of groupings, things that make the earth tremble, etc. But one of them is about things that are never satisfied. And the word picture God uses here is a leech. A slug, a worm that attaches on and doesn't want to let go um, and takes, and takes, and takes out of it without giving anything in return or any benefit. In other words, some people get their wealth or get their money by begging, not just sitting on a street begging, but also perhaps befriending those they know to be wealthy and borrowing what they know they'll never pay back and what they know their wealthy friend will ultimately forgive them for. They live on the coattails of their wealthy parents or friends or grandparents or spouse or spouse's family or even sometimes their adult children. Those who become leeches can have this insatiable, never satisfied, just give me more, give me more, give me a little bit more. I have a new situation for you to give me a little bit more. Now, at the same time, wealthy people, don't let the bad apples of people asking in this way turn you completely away from giving to the needy as the Lord wants you to. And then a simple summary of many of these is anybody who's greedy for unjust gain. Now, it's not right to be greedy for just gain either. Like, greedy is wrong. But to be greedy and then to compromise justice, rightness, integrity in order to gain, to cheat in some way is going to not only hurt that individual but bring trouble and pain and all kinds of consequences on the household as well. And then our final category for today is God cares deeply about how we handle whatever amount God gives us. Doesn't matter whether we have the least or the most, whatever amount how we handle it, what we do with every dollar in all kinds of ways here, how we manage it for the Lord, how we steward it. That's certainly the picture in the parable of the talents. How we use it, how we spend it, how we invest it, how we save it, how we give it, how we waste it. All of those are kind of caught up in these Proverbs. Proverbs 13, seven. First of all, an intriguing one, I think. One pretends to be rich yet has nothing Another print pretends to be poor, yet has great wealth. In other words, sometimes the handling of our money is to actually pretend or create an illusion that we're either wealthier than we are or that we're poorer than we are. I'm told that this principle may have come out of the Old Testament times when they often would do a big project like the temple and need funding and people would be called on and the wealthy would suddenly not have money that was available for those things but the idea behind this is be genuine be real realize that some of the people who are most generous are actually among the poorer people you know and some of those who are uh, incredibly wealthy come across as stingy not having anything not really open to sharing Two principles around the concept of pleasure. Proverbs 21, 7. Whoever loves pleasure will be a poor man. He who loves wine and oil will not be rich. I think he's saying pursuing the finer things of life, the really exotic, the cool, the latest, the best, self-pleasing ways of living is really impoverishing one's soul, really making you poor inside because you're squandering the Lord's riches, material riches, on unimportant, temporal, and very passing things. Now it sounds a little bit different in Proverbs, just four verses later. Precious treasure and oil are in a wise man's dwelling, but a foolish man devours it. Now I think God's pressing at those who just consume and always need more and continually have no ability to really save, preserve, protect, and keep Can't just simply enjoy what they have but always want newer, better, going through, throwing it out, giving it away, having garage sales, like the idea of just lacking of a contentment over the precious treasure and oil you are able to have because of God's kindness. Two proverbs having to do with security, and there's actually a lot more of them than these two, but here's a couple of warnings. 11.15, putting up security or Uh, standing behind, uh, guaranteeing for money for a stranger will surely suffer harm. But he who hates striking hands in pledge is secure. So just a warning. Again, be not one of those in Proverbs 22 who gives pledges, who puts up securities for debt. If you have nothing with which to pay, why should your bed be taken from under you? And while God wants us to be generous, he also doesn't want us to be foolish, to put us in positions where we can quickly, and sometimes at the mercy of somebody else, lose it all. So incurring financial responsibility for someone, particularly uh, when they are borrowing, you have to think, if those who are lending the money don't trust them and want a guarantee, then beware that you might be backing up a fool. And then two more in this area of our use of money. Proverbs 13, A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. But the sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous. And this is a cool one in, in that you're now, God gives us this big view of multiple generations and of whole lifetimes of accumulating wealth and what good and sinful people and what happens. How God is just moving money around. And sometimes God says to a good and wise man who has been faithful and generous, here is plenty and you can share it with your family. If you've taught them to be wise and to use it well and it's not gonna be something that's harmful to them and they will bless others with it, then pass it on. Enable multiple generations. And sometimes even God takes the sinners who are working so hard for their wealth and just distribute us when they die to others who are righteous. But again, let's keep the priorities here. A good man won't just leave a monetary inheritance, but far more an inheritance of how to love God, an inheritance of prayers for their lives, an inheritance of loving and proclaiming the gospel, of meditating and sharing the whole counsel of God and living by it, and walking by the Spirit and becoming evermore like the Son of God. That is the best inheritance a good man or woman leave. Lots more. I think next week some more. We'll close here with one New Testament passage coming back to the you cannot serve God in money, but in a different place in the New Testament. And then five closing Proverbs and more about Jesus and money next week. Lord willing. Uh, if he continues to to direct. So Luke also recorded, you cannot serve God and money. But his context, so you can see it at the bottom of the screen, his context leading up to that before the last couple of sentences is very, very different. So you don't see this on the screen, but prior to that first sentence that talks about um, shrewdness, Jesus has told the parable about the manager who wasn't a very good manager and his boss was gonna let him go when he returned. And so the guy goes around and makes deals and somebody that owed a hundred things to his master, he made a deal and cut him for 70, if you give me that, or 50. But what he was doing was going around and making deals that would put him in favorable light with all the people who were saving some money and diminishing his shameful irresponsibility before his king when he returned. And Jesus simply says, unfortunately, the sons of the world are often more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. So here's that light darkness metaphor a little bit again. Now listen, here's Jesus' point. I tell you, make friends for yourselves And he's speaking of eternal friendships by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, when you run out, when you die, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. In other words, shrewdly use unrighteous wealth, the world's wealth, that which has no moral goodness in itself, but use it Shrewdly, for ways to give your master all that you can, even when you've squandered and not been as responsible as you should be. Then he states this one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And comparing how he calls us to faithfulness here on this earth in this short life, and then will call us to faithfulness in the eternal heavenly life forever. And he asked these two penetrating questions. If you haven't been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who's gonna entrust to you true riches? If you couldn't do with the little stuff, the millions I gave you to spend here on earth, how can I trust you with the unimaginable riches? The next question if you haven't been faithful in that which is another's, if you didn't faithfully use God's money, then Who's going to give you that which is your own? So, be shrewd and wise, not just to make money, but to make it in order to gain spiritual reward or benefit or favor or blessing. Keep money in its proper place of priorities. In light of eternal pictures, use it with great care and self-control. Don't let it seduce you with its venom. To live for it and lesser things, don't let it control you. That's God's place. Be shrewd and don't let your life become about serving money, but about serving God and using money to do so. Five closing principles to hold fast to. Proverbs 11.4, we've said this before, but now I want you to think of all of these, not just with material wealth, but primarily with spiritual wealth and riches. Riches here on earth do not profit in the day of wrath. They're utterly worthless. You're throwing monopoly money at God the judge when the day of wrath comes, and it will mean nothing. But righteousness, having your life absorbed in that true riches, delivers you ultimately from eternal death. And that righteousness comes through faith in Christ Repenting of sin, letting go even of money in order to follow after him and live for him. Proverbs eleven twenty eight: 28. If you trust in your riches, you will fall. So just daily, do you focus more on riches, on pay, on money you're making, spending, or on righteousness and the eternal implications of that? 28, 25. A greedy man stirs up strife. But the one who trusts in the Lord to provide whatever, working hard but not consumed by trying to always have more, 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 brings a peace, a quietness, a contentedness in Christ that coveting will never, ever be satisfied with. So Proverbs, or Psalm 23.1 just reminds us that we have the Lord as our shepherd and he fully satisfies so that we have no want, no shortcoming, Proverbs 30, verse 8, and there's actually a longer section, and I think Chad referred to this as well, the Sunday that he preached, one of the Sundays back in July. The closing requests of God are two things I ask of you, that I not be deceitful, lie, and secondly, please don't give me poverty, and please don't give me riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me not that a great line lest I be full one ditch we can fall into and deny God no longer trust in him fear him live for him think of him serve him or lest I be poor and steal and profane or do anything that would damage the name of my God God give me what is needful for me to serve you. And Proverbs ten twenty two, the blessing of the Lord is what makes any human rich, truly rich. And with that blessing of salvation and communion with him, he adds no sorrow with it. True wealth, true happiness have nothing to do with dollars and everything to do with Christ Ecclesiastes 2 is our closing reminder verses 24 to 26 Solomon writing much later I think in his life perhaps after living it in, in horrible ways writes there's nothing better here's what I learned nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink have his needful things and find enjoyment in his toil this also is from the hand of God part of his providence for apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For the one who pleases him, God has given. Wisdom, there it is, and knowledge and joy. Father, again, we pray as your people that you will help us to take to heart these truths as rapid as they have been, as many as they have been, as diverse as they have been. Would you speak to each of us where we need to hear from you, perhaps where we need to repent, where our eyes need to be given different glasses to look at things, help the young in here, particularly as they make life decisions, turn all of our hearts, Lord, away from pursuing the fleeting wealth and the temporal things of this earth to the eternal rewards and riches and inheritance that cannot be touched or wrecked by anything that you hold for us. We love you, and I pray that the way we each earn and spend, bring in and put out money, will honor you, please you, and be used by you for your glory. We ask in your name, amen.